Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Wednesday, October 23rd. And thanks, as always, for tuning in. The Kamloops Center for the Arts is looking to raise between 22 and $37 million for a proposed new $70 million performing arts center. And a 46-page business case was presented by the Kamloops Center for the Arts to yesterday's city council meeting. I'll be joined by the KCA president, Norm Daly, in about 10 minutes or so to talk about the project, the business case, and what is next. In the back half of today's show, I will look at the federal election. Yes, I know we're all trying to wind down from it, so this will likely be the last time I talk about it in any kind of depth for a while. So to kick off the back half of the show, I'll be joined by Toronto Star reporter Alex Ballingall. He has been on with me a couple of times throughout the campaign as he has been following the NDP and Jagmeet Singh around for much of it and was also locked into yesterday's leader speech. So I'll talk with him about all of that and then end things up by just giving you a few last-minute thoughts of my own. But to begin today's program, yesterday marked another meeting of Kamloops City Council. And here to help me break it all down is Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian. Mr. Mayor, thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure, Jeff. So um, let me just start by getting your initial thoughts, uh, maybe on Monday's night's election, where you kind of locked in and watching the results there? Yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, as a mayor, you, you remain impartial because you have to work with whoever uh, the public decides to elect. But, uh, you know, I was uh, surprised. I thought the race here would be uh, closer than it was. But, you know, if you reflect on uh, Kathy McLeod's, uh, you know, uh, work over the uh, time that she has been our member of parliament, she's really a, 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 a constituency specialist. She's everywhere. And, and I think that reflected uh, in terms of her popularity at the ballot box. And uh, so uh, she won handily. And uh, I look forward to working with her uh, on the federal files over the uh, coming years. And uh, based on what happened, not that there really is ever much of a change for what happens for mayor and council, but given that it's the same MP here and still a, a liberal government, uh, probably not a significant change in terms of how you guys will approach working with, with the feds. No, and, and we have some active files, certainly the TMX project uh, being a big one, but uh, we have issues with the railroads, as we've talked about before, uh, policing issues, uh, and uh, you know there are a number of federal files that, that we manage, and uh, we will look to uh, MP McLeod to assist us with that, and we will make approaches directly to the government as well. And the Performing Arts Centre that you mentioned in your lead-in uh, is another area where we would expect a federal contribution. Perfect. And just before we get into that, uh, I also did want to just ask briefly, uh, you just got back from a pretty significant trip uh, to Japan. Just how did things go while you were down there? Yeah, we uh, had an 18-member delegation uh, over to our sister city, Uji, Japan. Uh, it happens, uh, you know, once every three or four years now. Uh, but uh, it was an excellent trip. Uh, Mary Yamamoto uh, and the staff at Uji City really uh, put on a uh, an excellent uh, tour for us. Uh, we saw an elementary school, a hospital, a long-term care facility. We went to a fire hall, uh, saw some of their training. Uh, plus, we met with Mayor and, and members of his council as well as staff and, and had another a number of uh, events at uh, some of their uh, important cultural uh, places, uh, the Beoiden Temple and the museums. You know, the, their approach to uh, a couple of things really uh, is remarkable. First of all, public transit is really something there that uh, is uh, dialed in. 
Secondly, their approach to some of the cultural artifacts that they have. They have things in their museum that are over a thousand years old, and uh, they have uh, certainly taken the care to preserve them, but also, also to tell the story. And, and that, I think, is uh, uh, something that we can learn from uh, here in uh, British Columbia and here in Kamloops. Yeah, definitely. A bit of a different world over there than, than what we uh, live in here, right? Eh? Um, so, all right, we'll move on from all of that and uh, sort of delve into uh, what took place yesterday at City Council. So, uh, first we'll talk about the big one, the Performing Arts Centre uh, project that's been getting a lot of attention uh, for some time, and I'm sure Council will continue uh, to, to discuss it as it moves forward. I guess, just what are your initial thoughts on yesterday's business case that was presented? Um, you know, are you, are you happy with kind of what was laid out sort of a, as, a, as an initial, um, initial business plan and, and how things might look, look moving forward? Well, you know, first, just to, to uh, lay down the scenario yesterday, they packed the gallery. Uh, they packed the uh, executive boardroom, the corporate boardroom. We were live streaming the meeting into those other places because uh, they have sold no less than 2,000 memberships uh, already in a very short period of time in the uh, Performing Arts Center Society. Uh, Norm Daly, the president of that society, uh, led the delegation. He was there with Ron and Ray Fawcett, big contributors, and, and uh, they had a uh, business case that has been done by KPMG, uh, so it's it's not a kind of off-the-side-of-the-desk kind of thing. This is uh, uh, very uh, thorough and uh, took looks at the aspects of certainly the capital required to construct a center, but also the operating uh, costs and how that would be operated. Uh, the proposals in and around $70 million, uh, of which they're uh, intending to raise at least $22 million, uh, leaving about $45 million for the taxpayer to absorb. But the timing of this uh, is uh, different than the last time uh, because we have uh, retired or will be retiring some significant debt in the city of Camel. So uh, the TCC uh, will be coming off the books uh, about the same time this would be going on the books. So there would be no uh, net tax increase related to this particular project. So that, uh, I think, gives it a bit of a leg up. Uh, plus the uh, approach that they have taken towards fundraising, I think, is very significant and it reflects what I'm hearing in the community. You, you look at our recreation master plan, you look at some of our citizen satisfaction surveys. The one thing that people say right after police and fire that they want is a performing arts center. And that's uh, heard uh, throughout the community and, and uh, not just by the arts community, but by the rest of the citizens. And uh, I think it's uh, time has come and uh, we need to uh, analyze this proposal and then find a way to uh, gain electorate uh, consent over this uh, if it's something the citizens wish to invest in. Uh, here with Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian. So uh, one of the things that I did note sort of as maybe being new was a 2023 opening date that was being proposed. Uh, does that feel like a realistic timeline for, for city uh, mayor and council right now? I mean, that's basically three years given that, you know, we're kind of already into the end of the construction season here, so nothing can move forward at this point. But obviously, the planning can take place throughout the winter months. So, I mean, three three years basically as a as a timeline that seems a bit aggressive. It's ambitious, uh, you know, and uh, but uh, there is a pent up demand. I mean, we saw what happened last year when the uh, Sagebrush Theater went out of the rotation and and all of the confusion in and around that. Uh, and now that it's back in the rotation, it's overbooked. And and so you know, we we certainly have that need, uh, but. As 
as we see with the hospital project, these major capital projects take a long time. And, uh, you know, we're moving that one along and hope to be in there by 2022. If this one would come on by 2023, I think that would be uh, as fast as we could get there. But, uh, you know, I don't think we need any unnecessary delays. Let's decide if this is something we want to do and then get on with it because uh, the cost always goes up. So, you know, I, I think the faster that you could secure a, a RFP and, and uh, tender a job like this, the uh, best price you would get. Uh, this might be a question for administration, but I guess, do you know what's sort of next for this project? Uh, is there something coming maybe from administration before the end of the year or anything along those lines? Yeah, we asked that question. Uh, certainly, uh, there was a number of questions council posed of, of both Norm and uh, of our administration, and uh, they have uh, committed that they can uh, turn this around by November the 5th. So we would uh, hope that they would have something for us to make a, a decision uh, going forward uh, by that point in time. They have to uh, crunch the numbers again, uh, but this is not a new document to them. Some of our staff have been working with the uh, consultant in terms of preparing the document, so they understand uh, much of what's in it. So uh, going forward, we need to look at uh, how you would gain electoral consent uh, to uh, make a uh, expenditure of that magnitude. So you could do that through reverse petition, or you could do that through a referendum, and they would have a, a recommendation with respect to that. And uh, and then we would uh, make a decision on that uh, going forward. The uh, consultant that they have used to this point in time would be engaged to do design drawings. Right now, they're conceptual drawings, so that takes a lot of time uh, to put the design drawings together. And then you have to uh, look at all of your uh, land works and and the associated uh, servicing that would be required for a building of that mass. Perfect. Um yeah, that seems like pretty aggressive too from from an administration standpoint. November fifth, but I'll definitely be keeping my eyes peeled to that meeting as well. Um, last thing on the agenda that uh, really stood out to me was uh, council being provided with an update on the city's assets management program and progress. There, uh, ten thousand dollars was received through the Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing for the development of the uh, council policy. Third party consulting firm engaged to assist the city in developing that policy. So, can you maybe summarize for those out there listening, just or what exactly it means? and how this policy is going to help council moving forward and sort of guide your decision making. You know, I love talking asset management, Jeff, uh, and not many people like listening to me talk about <laughs> asset management. But, uh, you know, we are entrusted with uh, literally billions of dollars worth of infrastructure, be, be it pavement, pipes, bridges, uh, buildings. And we have to have a plan to maintain those and a plan to replace them. And the whole asset management piece is about uh, logically planning for those kinds of maintenance things, just like you would do in your own home, uh, so that there's no surprises. Uh, and and so I, I think on behalf of the taxpayer, we have to be prudent about doing that. And this is just another step towards that in terms of gaining some funding through uh, the U Union BC municipalities and other levels of government to make sure that we have a good handle on the uh, status of all of the assets that are under our control. Yeah, definitely an important document because I know uh, a lot of councils out there sometimes feel like putting off projects is a good way to save taxpayer money, but that tends to bite people in the butt in the long run, right? Short-term gain for long-term pain. Awesome. Well, uh, Mayor Christian, anything else you want to add before I let you go here? No, I think we've covered it. Thanks. Awesome. That was Mayor Ken Christian of the city of Kamloops. Coming up after the break, I'll be chatting more about that proposed arts center with the president of the KCA.
your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Hump Day. The Kamloops Center for the Arts presented its business case to council yesterday for a new performing arts center. And I'm joined now by KCA President Norm Daly. Norm, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. So let me just start by asking about yesterday's presentation sort of in general. Uh, you know, were you happy with how things went and the response that you got from council? Uh, definitely. It was, a, it was a very positive response I felt from council. Um, there's action that's being undertaken immediately. I didn't know if that's what was going to happen or if they were going to go away with the business case and have a, a look at it for a while but um, yeah there's an action item that's coming up again on November 5th so that's great for for our group yeah yeah the, the mayor was just mentioning that to me as well in the, the last segment there November 5th that seems like a pretty aggressive turnaround uh, but obviously you're happy to see things starting to move forward uh, definitely I mean you know I think that we've done some legwork through the business case and, and I had some discussion with the administration of the city about uh, how things could possibly work which we have added to our business case and so I think that they do have a bit of a, a leg up on on the process and so I'm, I'm really pleased that we're going to be moving forward. Uh, the 2023 proposed opening date seems pretty pretty quick. Um, I guess, how, how realistic is that for, for you? Um, you know, I think that the whole thing is is that you have to have a date and you have to have a deadline. And, uh, you know, let's work towards deadlines. I mean, how realistic was it for us to get a business case through the summer months and be ready for today? And you know what? We achieved that goal. You know, all of the things we've done with membership and, and, and other things. I mean, we have a momentum going with this project, and I think that's what we have to just keep going on. And, you know, what let's let's uh, move it forward as quickly as we can and let's uh, have that facility open for the public now uh, the facility is being proposed at around 70 million dollars and uh, you guys talked about fundraising 22 million that seems like a lot of money that might be difficult to raise I guess just sort of what is your plan to go about getting that from the community well we know that there's some infrastructure dollars and obviously we have to meet the criteria with those uh, both uh, federally and provincially um, obviously some some lobbying efforts can occur in both both uh, arenas as well so so maybe there's opportunities to get a bit more than that um, last time there was some corporate donations that uh, people were talking about some larger corporations that said they would step up to the plate so you know we're quietly confident that the, the 22 million dollar is achievable and we're actually hopeful that we can do much better so that would limit the uh, borrowing that would be, be required by the city of Kamloops. Uh, when does that uh, fundraising process begin? Well, I think that the fundraising process will begin when we know that uh, we have a project and I mean obviously we, we believe that we put a great uh, business case forward to the city uh, we need to know that uh, the city now is able to support us in in the plan uh, with their decision making and uh, once that happens uh, we'll be ready to go and, and start moving forward on that. What, what is the role of the, the Kamloops Centre for the Arts Society moving forward in this process? Because now obviously you presented your business case and, and, and administration is going to sort of move ahead with their side of things. So what is your involvement now moving ahead? Well definitely fundraising will be a big part of it. I mean I believe that that is our, you know, a big part of what we need to do. Um, the other part is we really want to be involved in the design process. Uh, CHP Architects together with Ron Fox and also the arts groups in Kamloops have done a lot of legwork on this already and we don't want to lose uh, you know what's what's been done so we would like to really uh, be able to take the, uh, the des design process with the architects and move it forward so that we have a complete project uh, ready to go uh, hopefully uh, a, a year from uh, from next spring um, I, any ideas I guess when when we might be able to see that you said next spring so that's sort of the the 
earliest we might see sort of what a conceptual design might look like? Well, I think we do have a bit of a conceptual design right now from, from what's been done. Um, and then um, next spring, hopefully uh, we have the approval to move forward, um, you know, through whatever process council decides. And then I would think there'll be about a one-year design process, and that's when we're going to engage all the stakeholders to ensure that the functional layout of the facility is exactly what we need in Kamloops at this time. Can you talk a little bit about the support that you've received on this project here from the community? I mean, one of the things I know that was happening over the course of the summer was trying to, to sell those $2 memberships mm -hmm. for uh, the society. I guess, how, how has that gone, and, and sort of what does that indicate to you in terms of the support that you are receiving for this? Yeah, I mean, we, we started and we started with sheets at, at you know, various events, music in the park and, and things like that. And then we, we finally got online here in uh, late September and we're, you know, well over 2,000 memberships right now. And people are asking where they can get them. You know, there, there, there seemed to be an engagement within the community because of, 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 of wanting to sell these memberships so that we can let them know what's going on in, in the process. Um, and, you know, so, so that's, uh, you know, great that that's moving forward. And I missed the other part of the question, sorry. Um, yeah, I guess just, just what does that indicate to you, you know, the fact that you've been able to sell over 2,000 memberships and, and obviously that number is continuing to grow. Just what does that show in terms of the, the, how much people want to see this project move ahead? Well, I think it's, it's just a, a huge positive. Um, you know, like uh, there was a Dracula last week. We sold well over 600 memberships. You know, we've got other shows coming up with the Symphony and, and Western Canada Theatre where we'll be out selling memberships. And, you know, people are engaged. People are, 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 are wanting to know about the project. And that's the other part about selling the memberships is we get that opportunity uh, to, to engage with them and let them know what's going on. Now we can show them the business case because it's been released to the public. Uh, so, you know, I, I just think it's, it's a great tool to uh, ensure that more and more people have knowledge about this project. It's, I was talking about this yesterday. It's, there's, you know, easy to, sh to share it, misinformation. We need to make sure that we get the correct information out there so people know exactly what it's all about. And, and I understand you guys also had a bit of a, a rally outside uh, after council. Just to, can you tell me a little bit about why you guys decided to, to do that immediately following uh, the, the presentation to council? Well, we wanted to ensure that uh, all media was able to get their questions answered. Obviously, we were presenting to council and, um, you know, council is able to respond and things like that. But uh, we wanted to make sure that they had an opportunity to speak to both our group and, and the faucets about uh, about the project. So that's why we did it. I mean, also, it shows support. I mean, you know, the last time that uh, we went uh, in, in June and uh, back in January, there's a, a good crowd of people. And uh, really, that shows that there is support for this project. People are coming down, they're, they're making, taking time out of their day to come down to City Hall to show their support to make sure that people are aware that, that this project needs to happen. Awesome, Norm. Well, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I guess uh, November 5th is the next date, so we'll look ahead to that. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. That was uh, KCA President Norm Daly. Coming up after the break, I'll be continuing to talk about the election. I know it's now two days old, but we'll continue to break it down with Toronto Star reporter Alex Bollingall after this. <laughs> Listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back here on Wednesday, October 23rd. And of course, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. The 43rd, 43rd Canadian federal election is now in the rearview mirror and party leaders are slowly making speeches to take a look back at the 40-day campaign that was. The Liberals, of course, won a, another minority government and Justin Trudeau will be back in office for maybe another four years. We'll see uh, what happens there in terms of uh, how long that mandate will last. Uh, here to talk about uh, what the uh, election looked like and he was following the NDP campaign around and Jugmeet Singh as well. It's Toronto Star reporter Alex Ballingall. Alex, thanks so much for coming on the program today. Oh, thanks for having me, Jeff. 
So, uh, yeah, you've been on a couple of times, and I appreciate you continuing to check in. So thanks so much for doing this. Um, maybe just right. start by Thank taking a, a quick look back at Monday night and just sort of, uh, you know, how you were watching the results come in as a reporter. I mean, uh, just was it a exciting night for you? Yeah, it was certainly a busy night. You know, uh, I guess like as as a reporter, you you you, uh, you try and game out the most likely scenarios and then start um, crafting uh, uh, different stories that you can use that sort of fit those scenarios. Um, it sort of became, started to become clear that the Liberals might be en route to uh, power again relatively quickly. I think when they didn't, like obviously they swept the Atlantic in 2015, and so they were probably going to lose some there, but. But I think the Conservatives were hoping for more pickups than they had there. Like, I think the Liberals only, they only lost six of the 32 seats in the Atlantic provinces, um, which was, was uh, less than maybe some people had expected. And obviously the Bloc did really well in Quebec. And then once they came into Ontario, it, it, it really started to become clear that uh, the Liberals were going to at least win a minority. With you know they, they swept Toronto again. The NDP failed to crack into the, their fortress Toronto at all. Um, Sort of the 905, like the, the some suburban cities are surrounding the Canada's biggest city. There, uh, often people say elections are won and lost there, and the Liberals won. Uh, you know, they they maintained a lot of the seats they, they had there uh, in 2015. So, so once we sort of got to Ontario, it became uh, relatively clear that it was going to be a at least a Liberal minority, and then uh, they obviously got sort of got shut out in the in the prairies with Ralph Goodale losing his seat in in, in Saskatchewan. Um, they lost their seats in Edmonton and and, uh, and Calgary, and then uh, in BC, uh, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they they uh, they uh, did slightly better than expected potentially in BC too, given uh, uh, the tensions around Trans Mountain and other issues like that. So uh, they, I mean, they obviously were knocked down to the minority, but uh, it, uh, you know, it, uh, it it's a relatively strong minority that. Uh, that could be stable if they, if they manage to somehow work out something with uh, the NDP, with who holds the balance of power. Yeah, um, and given all of that, uh, in terms of what you just said, a nice summary of sort of what took place over the course of Monday night. Uh, but overall, I mean, were, was there anything that really surprised you in terms of the overall results? I mean, you look at sort of what the pundits were predicting, and it basically almost went according to the script. Uh, you know, we saw a minority government. It was sort of unsure whether it would be liberal or conservative, but as you mentioned, we found out pretty quick that it was probably going to be liberal. And then everything else just sort of fell right right into place in terms of what people were expecting. Yeah, it really was sort of uh, like the polls seemed to be predicting it relatively uh, accurately. It didn't uh, didn't bust the script in any major way. Um, I think that some of the surprises were like uh, you know uh, the conservative deputy leader uh, getting knocked down by uh, Olympic gold medalist uh, Adam Vancouverton in, in the in the Ontario riding of Milton. Um, again, Ralph Goodale losing his seat. Uh, there were a few sort of like like giants that fell, I guess. Um, and then I, another surprise for me, I guess, was the Greens winning in New Brunswick and Fredericton. That was an interesting victory for them. Um, obviously, they did well in the New Brunswick provincial election, but uh, yeah, I think that's the only seat outside of British Columbia they've ever won now in a federal election, and their best election result ever with, with three MPs. So that was a it was a, a lot of people thought they might do better, uh, but they're they're sort of. 
moments seem to fizzle through the campaign, but uh, I think they would be happy with, you know, just having another MP. You now they have like a, they actually have a caucus of three people, so that'll be interesting to watch. For sure, yeah, definitely. Some people did think the uh, the Greens would do better than they did, but I still think, you know, having that increase mm -hmm. in seats is, is still a victory for that, that particular party. So you obviously spent a much of your time following the NDP and following Jagmeet Singh around throughout the course of that, uh, the campaign. Um, I just, what, what did you kind of get in terms of a sense of how they're feeling about how things ran? We saw uh, Jagmeet Singh, uh, you know, give his speech yesterday, sort of decompressing from the election that was. Um, you know, how, how do you feel the, the mood is around the NDP party? Because, you know, you can look at it from a number of different ways. You can look at it saying they lost seats, but you can also look at it and say they actually have more power now. So, I mean, depending on how you want to spin it, you could say they won, you could say they lost. I guess, how, how are the, the people inside the party uh, sort of spinning this election right now? So the way they're they're spinning it, um, you know, publicly is that is that it's a win. They they have the balance of power. It, it was it was a shame to lose so much in Quebec. Like they were almost wiped out. Um, in, in some ways, you could say that you know the the, the work that Jack Layton had done to build towards the orange wave election when they won like fifty nine seats in Quebec uh, has now sort of been completely reversed as if as if it had never happened. They just have now one seat there so i think that is sort of the major point of defeat that they that they really can't avoid talking about um but i i do i think that, uh internally they're feeling like going into the election um, there was a lot of skepticism about Jagmeet Singh in the media there had been stumbles uh there had even been uh stories written about how you know back before he, he won his seat in burnaby south in a by-election that, that you know he, his, his leadership could be in question if he doesn't turn it around. So I think for them, to, you know, talk of them not even getting 12 seats for official party status, and, and, and so then they came in double that threshold. So even though they lost seats, I think the mood is like, well, okay, we did better than expected, it's good, but, but it's obviously not good enough, and they would have liked to have kept a larger footprint in Quebec and, and, and again, crack into uh, Toronto and the GTA, where they, they were really targeting seats there, and they thought they would pick up a few ridings in Toronto and maybe even in, in the surrounding area where Singh actually started his political career and they failed to do that. So I think uh, they're generally happy that they didn't get, it wasn't a disaster, but, but they wish it was better. I think that's the best way to say it. Yeah, so I'm joined on the phone right now by uh, Toronto Star reporter Alex Ballingall and uh, he's also from here in Kamloops. Um, so just kind of going off what you said there and you know the fact that there is maybe some disappointment within the party for not maybe having as many seats as uh, as they might have hoped. What what do you think this means for Jagmeet Singh as leader of the NDP party? I mean, do you think he is safe? Is it too early to tell just because it is, uh, you know, very, very soon after the actual election took place? Or, uh, you know, do you have any sort of sense of where things are going in terms of the leadership for the NDP? Um, my sense, just, I, and I mean, I, talking to the people like sort of in his immediate circle, they say that he ran such a good campaign where, you know, we saw his favorability numbers kind of like really climb um, he did relatively well in the debate, and he beat the, the low, ex, the very low expectations about his performance, uh, about uh, what people expected the performance to be. So they're saying, you know, we feel like he's secured his leadership. Like there's, there's no, no way people can blame him for for uh, this, for a bad election result. He he really stepped up. Um, but I, I think it, it, it is, you know, we'll see how that plays out in the coming months. Um, how they handle this situation in the minority government where they could play kingmaker, the liberals, they could press them on, uh, you know, they have more power now than, than they have had since the last minority government. Um, 
you know, the last time we had a minority mm-hmm. government where they had the where they had like a heft in the house. So, so they actually have some influence that they can try and use. So I think uh, you know, people I've talked to in the party, they're they're basically saying um, it might not be you know, even if there, there's some people that think you know we we could we could uh, use a change. We, we you know, this election was a disappointment, given that they have the balance of power and 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 given how. They spent the last four years, you know, after turfing Tom Mulcair and then having this drawn out leadership race and then having a leader without a seat, um, that, that, that there's, no, there's little appetite for a leadership change at this moment, even if there's some people that are disappointed. Yeah, and it's probably um, sometimes maybe parties are a little too quick to change their leaders because we just get to know one guy, and then if he doesn't do as well as expected, they, they throw him out, and then we have to get to know somebody else. So it may be good to keep a familiar face in there, at least for, for some amount of time. Um, that, that, is, that is what they're saying, yeah. That's basically, yeah. Like the, the, the way they're trying to frame this is, all right, we have under this new leader, we have this foundation of 24 seats. It sucks that we lost Quebec. But now we can build from here, and plus we have the balance of power. So, so I think, uh, again, I think the, the, the general summary is, is they think it was a good result, but not good enough. Um, and, and you were paying pretty close attention yesterday to, to Jagmeet, Singh, Jagmeet Singh's um, speech, kind of looking back at, at the campaign in the 40 days and sort of decompressing from the election. Uh, was there anything specific that you sort of took away as a message that he was sending out to his supporters? I know one thing that was kind of talked about, uh, you know, following his speech was, uh, you know, his, his call for more electoral reform. Uh, was there anything else specifically that you looked at uh, from that speech that sort of stuck out to you? Um, I mean, I, I think... Uh uh, in terms of the priorities that they've laid out, like he he wasn't willing to say exactly how he would negotiate with the liberals in terms of propping up their minority government, how he would use his, his balance of power, except to say, you know, they have these broad priorities of, of pushing for pharmacare, of pushing for uh, like increased taxes on the wealthy, of, of, of pushing for um, increased spending on public housing and stuff like that. So I think he was sort of outlining areas of potential cooperation with this new uh, minority government, um, but uh, and, and even saying you know he's open to all sorts of possibilities, even a uh, power-sharing coalition. Um, so uh, the thing that that uh, sort of piqued my curiosity was sort of the opening um, posturing around how how his party will try and use its power in this minority parliament. Yeah, it's definitely going to be kind of uh, really interesting to see how that, that shapes up moving forward because, um, you know, there was some talk about a number of issues where they, they might be kind of, uh, you know, lined up with the liberal priorities, but also, you know, when you look at things here, we talk about the, the pipeline quite a bit, and, and uh, there's obviously a little bit of a difference of opinion when it comes to the pipeline, so uh, probably pretty difficult to gauge how those two parties are going to work together at this point in time and just how well that uh, partnership, if you will, might might end up planning out or panning out, if you will. Um, yeah, I guess uh, Alex, is, uh, is there anything else sort of that you wanted to touch on from this election? Any other major points that I missed that you, uh, you know, wanted to highlight while I have you here in terms of uh, the, the 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 campaign that the NDP ran, or just uh, you know the the results as a whole? Well, there's been a lot of talk about how the results show sort of a fractured country, um, which will be something to pay attention to. Obviously, with the resurgence of the bloc, um, with Saskatchewan and Alberta basically going all in on the conservatives. And then in the wake of the result, you know, all this talk about um, Western alienation sort of uh, uh, being uh, revived as well. Um, I think that's going to be something that, that uh, Trudeau is going to have to pay attention to and that we're all going to have to pay attention to as, as we write about this and follow this and talk about this. Um, 
is, you know, if there's regional tensions and ideological tensions sort of, you know, uh, ripping through the country, we, we've got to, we've got to be wary of that and careful about that. Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming on and joining me today and, and also, you know, throughout the course of this election cycle. It's been a pleasure having you on and we'll continue to check in with you as well. But, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. So thanks so much for doing this. Oh, yeah, no worries. Anytime. Awesome. That was Alex Ballingall, Toronto Star reporter and, of course, a native of right here in Kamloops. Coming up, I'll be continuing election chatter and taking a look back at the campaign that was. So stick around for That's Whack Wednesday. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Wednesday, October 23rd. We are now two days removed from election night and I've had a little bit more time to reflect on things and how they went down and I'm sure you all out there have had a little time to look back and reflect on things as well. I wanted to take a look back at a number of subjects as it pertains to Monday night and this edition of That's Whack Wednesday. It's That's Whack Wednesday. So I'll start by thanking everyone who ran for office across Canada and those here in the Kamloops-Thompson-Caribou riding. Putting your name forward is a difficult thing to do. It opens you up to criticism, and you have to really put yourself out there in a way that most people never, ever do throughout their entire lives. So I tip my cap to you, and I will say that there is absolutely nothing whack about that. Everyone who voted, congratulations for participating in our democracy. It's the right thing. And many around the globe do not get a chance to do that. So there is no more sour an attitude, in my opinion, than thinking your vote doesn't matter. It is the one chance that we get to help shape the country. And if you don't take advantage of that, well, I will tell you what that is. Turnout for Canada's 2019 general election was 65.95% of eligible voters. Not as high as in 2015 when Justin Trudeau first swept to power, so you know what that is. Of the 27.1 million Canadians registered to vote in Monday's election, 17.9 million cast ballots. That's according to Elections Canada. So that number does not include electors, apparently, who registered on Election Day, so it's likely that number will rise slightly. So, some 8 million votes, some 28 million votes, and 66% of eligible voters casting a ballot. It's not bad, but I think we can do better. So to that, I will say... Here locally, Elections Canada says we had a smaller percentage of eligible voters cast ballots in the Kamloops, Thompson, Caribou in this year's federal election. Preliminary numbers are showing nearly 71,703 voted in our riding out of 102,749 people who were registered. That's a higher number than 2015 when 69,939 of 95,347 people voted. However... It is a smaller percentage because of population growth. All told, 69.8% of people voted this year compared to 73.3% in 2015. And that percentage drop, well, I will tell you, that is a little bit... Now, with all that in mind, I will say one more time, thank you to those who participated. Even if you did spoil your ballot, it is a showing that you weren't happy with the choices that were available to you. And that is more than allowed. I had a Facebook friend who uh, wrote a post saying he wasn't going to vote because he wasn't happy with the choices. And a bunch of people told him, go spoil your ballot. Well, you know what he said? I didn't know I couldn't do that. 
So, since then, he's been uh, more than filled in on how that whole process works. And although he did not vote here in 2019, he now has no excuse for not showing up in 2023 or whenever this minority government sends us back to the polls. I hope it's not too soon because for me, well, I think that would be just a little bit... I also wanted to talk a little bit about our voting system. Justin Trudeau promised change in 2015. He said we would see proportional representation. He said we wouldn't continue with this first-past-the-post system that we currently use. Well, he failed to follow through on that, and I'm sure you can guess what I think about that. For those who need a definition of first-past-the-post, it's where voters indicate on a ballot that the candidate of their choice is the one that you put that X through, and the candidate who receives the most votes wins. That's how it works in each riding across Canada, and it makes sense. And of course, whoever wins the most ridings becomes the next government. Now, I'm a proponent of ranked balloting, where we can order our candidates from most to least preferred. This may take a little longer to calculate, and would most definitely have resulted in a different outcome than the minority liberal government that we elected this week. This could also be called the uh, single transferable vote, if you will. It means you still get a single vote that is initially allocated to your most preferred candidate. Votes are then totaled, and if your candidate achieves the quota, they're elected. If more candidates than seats remain, the bottom candidate is eliminated with their votes being transferred to other candidates as determined by the voters' stated preference. More confusing, but I think it gives people a more of a chance to have their say. Then there's the mixed member proportional representation where voters get two votes, one to decide the representative for their single seat constituency or the vote here in your riding, and one for a political party. The issue is that on Monday night, the Liberal Party for me... And that also is a uh, more than valid way to go about doing that. That allows us to elect our local candidate and our prime minister, also something that uh, I am in favor of. The issue for me on that is on Monday night, the Liberal Party received 33% of the popular vote and yet ended up with 46% of the seats. The Conservative Party ended up with over 34% of the popular vote and yet ended up with 36% of the seats. For me, those numbers just don't correlate. So, I don't think it's new news that our system isn't perfect. In fact, no system out there is perfect. But I think there is something better that exists. Something that would better reflect the will of voters and the fact that that promise was broken in 2015 and it really didn't feel like it was even truly investigated fixing our voting system. Well, honestly, I think that is... But hey, I guess it worked out for the Liberals this time around. This has been That's... Whack Wednesday. That's Whack Wednesday with Jeff Andreas. Now, before I move on, I just wanted one more time to congratulate Kathy McLeod on uh, being elected to a fourth term here in this riding. And a big congratulations to Ian Curry and the Green Party for getting the most votes the Greens have ever seen here. And again, thank you to all the other candidates for putting their names forward and for wanting to represent this riding here in Ottawa. Best of luck moving forward, Terry Lake, Cynthia Egley, Peter Carrick, Kara Cheeseborough, and Ken Finlayson. Whether you run for politics again or not, I appreciate the fact that you did put yourself out there and, uh, you know, gave us a chance to vote for you. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to say thank you one more time to all of my guests for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. The show, of course, would not exist without your ears. So thanks again for tuning in. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.